Thank you, Jan and Heather. That was such a beautiful introduction. It really was very unexpected, very sneaky. But thank you for having me this morning and just for trusting me to share with you all. It is such a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. What a lovely thing to do on a Saturday. Just hand the kids over to the husbands and wish them all the best. Um, when I was praying for this morning, there was one scripture that just kept coming to mind, and that is what I have just felt to, to preach into this morning, and it's from John chapter 10, verse 10. And it's Jesus talking. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I love the Passion Translation. I want to read you that version. Jesus says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. And that is my heart's prayer for us all today, today and moving forward, that we would know Jesus, our Good Shepherd, and that we would embrace and experience this abundant life that Jesus offers us in this life here on earth and in the next life. Now, the Greek word used to describe this abundant life is the word parisos, which means, I love the meaning, super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. By implication, it means excessive, exceedingly abundantly above, more, and beyond measure. And so this scripture got me thinking, well, how many of us actually look at our lives and view our existence as a life of abundance, as described above? How many of us reflect on life and feel as though we are living honestly in the fullness of everything that Jesus offers us? Or do we read that line of scripture and we think, well, that sounds lovely, but it's just a very lofty offer. It's just a very, very far out of reach goal with all of life's baggage dragging behind us. But why would Jesus talk about this abundant life if he didn't mean it? So I want to tell you about my beautiful firstborn son. I've got two little boys who you saw in the video who said I like jumping on the couch. I promise you. <laughs> I think I tell my son 20 times a day to stop jumping on the couch. So that was some of his sense of humor coming in there. But Brody is eight. He's almost nine. And this boy is pure passion. He is exuberant and boisterous. He is obsessed with superheroes and riding his bike and skating and surfing and playing his guitar. And one of the I think, I mean, obviously I'm going to boast, but I think my boy has got this most amazing gift of being able to actually confidently converse with adults. He can actually sit down and talk to anyone, and I think sometimes I'm astounded at what he says and how comfortable he is around adults. So about three months ago, we were at a briar with some of our friends from church, and my children were the only kids at the briar. But never mind that, during the course of the evening, Brody went and he plonked himself down on the couch in between two of the young ladies. Um, 
And Brody, he does fancy himself as a little bit of a ladies, well, actually, a, quite, a, quite a big ladies man. Even though he's eight, it doesn't matter if there's a 20-year age gap. Um, so the three of them got chatting. And my one friend shared with Brody and the other lady that her new hobby is bonsais, okay? So Brody came home from the evening talking about those little trees that people grow, and now he wants a bonsai. So Nikita, who's my beautiful bonsai friend, then went on subsequently and gifted Brody with this bonsai, which he was beyond thrilled about. I had to then go and join the local bonsai club with Brody. They meet once a month at the local nursery and they learn how to prune their little bonsais and how to repot them and they learn about the soil composition and how to um, find driftwood and rocks and grow the roots over these things. And then, yay for me, I was added onto the bonsai WhatsApp group chat. And let me tell you, these people are so passionate about their bonsais. I actually have muted that chat group. Especially, I'm sorry, but guys, do you know, there's a World Bonsai Day on the 13th of May. That group was a buzz, a blaze, with beautiful quotes. And anyway, let me get back to this little bonsai. This is a little fig tree known as a ficus ginseng. And when it is grown outdoors in a suitable climate, it actually has the potential to grow up to 18 meters high. I don't know how big, I mean, maybe to the ceiling. I don't know, 18 meters, what that looks like. And um, 14, no, 12 meters in canopy. So this little tree has such potential in it. I look at this and I, I actually feel sorry for it. Shame, man, because it's only ever gonna grow like, 25 centimeters tall because bonsais as I've come to learn they're restricted their, their growth is restricted by the container that that houses them so their roots can only grow so big and their their roots and their canopies are pruned to keep them small and miniature versions of what they could actually become so yes, this little bonsai has the potential to grow up to 18 meters and have a canopy that provides shade and shelter to a vast ecosystem of life. But because it is confined in this container, it will only ever be a decorative plant on my patio table, never knowing or living what it is actually created to be. Shame, and this little bonsai it's eight-year-old uh, neglect, and also a little bit of mom, I've got too many other living things to care for. We've lost quite a few of its leaves, but I think it's sprouting. Um, anyway, um, my point is, we all have the potential to live this full and abundant life that Jesus speaks about. But some of us will only ever enjoy just a small smidgen of what Jesus offers and what he created us to do and who he created us to be. Because we're restricted and we're limited and inhibited and constrained. We've been held back and contained by comfort or by fear or we've been cut back by life. And we've resigned ourselves to an existence 
on the patio table instead of standing tall in the forest canopy that we were created for. So I want to read to you a beautiful story from the, um, the Gospel Luke, chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. And this is about a woman who I think was constrained within a life of sin. But as she went on to unravel at the feet of Jesus, she found forgiveness and salvation and freedom. So let's read together. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. I love how Jesus answers him, even though he was speaking to himself. <laughs> he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And he's looking at Simon. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So I want to draw three points from this account that I think give us some handles on how to find this life to the full that Jesus offers us. But first, I think it's helpful to give us some context to the scripture. So let's talk about Simon, who is the host of this dinner party. Simon was a Pharisee. And for those who might not know, Pharisees were a religious group of scholars and community leaders that flourished in Palestine during Jesus' day. They were devout followers of the laws of Moses, as well as hundreds of, of other additional oral laws by which they lived. And because they were such experts in the law, they had significant religious and political clout, as much of Israel's law was rooted in Judaism. They were gung-ho on what they deemed as sinful or blasphemous and what was not. And interestingly, they were the group of people that Jesus was most critical of in his ministry. 
They could not reconcile Jesus' gracious and inclusive approach to sinners. Jesus' ministry and his message was far too liberal for their exclusive sect, and his teachings challenged much of their way of life. So Simon's invitation to have Jesus over for dinner was probably not to honor Jesus. It was more likely probably to suss him out or even to catch him out. Simon didn't follow any of the etiquette of a gracious host. It says he didn't provide means by which Jesus' feet could be washed. He didn't welcome Jesus with the customary kiss. And he didn't anoint Jesus' head with oil, which was a sign of honor. So Simon's motives for hosting Jesus at his home can definitely be questioned. And we get a further glimpse of this when we hear Jesus, um, Simon say, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. I think there can at times be a little bit of Pharisee in all of us, that skeptical and judgmental lean that sometimes blinds us to Jesus' hand at work. My caution to us is let us not be like Simon because Simon was a good, being a good Pharisee, he was eagerly expecting the arrival of the promised Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. And yet, Simon didn't even recognize that it was the Messiah, the creator of the universe, sitting in his home at his very table. The sinful woman recognized the Messiah, but the holy man missed him. So let us not be like Simon. And yeah, let's just trust today the Holy Spirit is here with us in this room. He's here with us at our tables. And let's open our hearts to receive from him this morning and hear what Jesus has to say and minister to us. <clears throat> the name Pharisee literally means separate one, which perfectly explains how removed they were from other people. So Pharisees distanced themselves from others because they saw themselves as better. Other people were unclean and unworthy, and their strict practices made them feel superior. They avoided being around sinners and other people who didn't follow the laws correctly, according to their expectations. And this is why they just couldn't handle Jesus' radical ministry, where Jesus would dine and socialize with sinners, the tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus was just completely scandalous. Now, Pharisees like Simon did not talk to women in general, nor eat with women in public. In fact, at formal dinners like this, women were not invited. Never mind a sinful woman. The woman in the story was most likely a prostitute. Um, they were called sinners politely in those days. So this lady was not on the guest list. <clears throat> she was contaminated with sin in the eyes of the religious upright, and she would have defiled the table. So she wouldn't have been invited into Simon's home, let alone allowed anywhere near his table. So this brings me to my first point, that Jesus wants us to participate with him in our own transformation. You see, walking through Simon's front door that day, into the middle of his dinner party was risky. It was super, super risky. 
But this lady wasn't concerned with being humiliated or shamed or thrown out onto the streets or hurled with abuse or even stoned. She was desperate and she was willing to risk it all to get to the feet of Jesus. She had to walk through that door. Sometimes to find freedom, we need to risk stepping beyond our status quo. We need to risk stepping out of our comfort and our safety zones into the radical life of liberation that Jesus calls us to. See, Simon may not have invited her into her home, into his home, but you need to know that Jesus invites us all. Matthew 7 verse 8, Jesus says, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We will never, ever be turned away or kicked back to the curb. Jesus says the door will be opened. So what sometimes holds us back from falling at the feet of Jesus in desperation for breakthrough? What sometimes holds us back from our own participation in our transformation? There's an inspiring author who I really admire. Her name is Edith Eager. And Edith is a psychologist who has helped countless people over the years journey through trauma to find freedom and breakthrough. And the reason her practice is so successful is that she herself had to journey through unthinkable human suffering and hardship to find her own life of freedom. Edith grew up in Hungary during the Second World War, and at the age of 16, she was arrested together with her parents and her sister, and she was taken as a prisoner of war to the infamous Auschwitz concentration camp. She was later moved to a second camp in Austria with her sister. Her parents were sent directly to the gas chambers when they had arrived in Auschwitz. And she's written two books to date that I can highly recommend, The Choice and The Gift is her second one that I'm working my way through. But I want to read to you an excerpt from her latest gift. And this is when the liberation forces arrived at the camp to free them, and it really struck me. She says, I was lying on the muddy ground in a pile of dead and dying when the 71st Infantry arrived to free the camp. I remember the soldiers' eyes, full of shock, bandanas tied over their faces to block the stench of rotting flesh. In those first hours of freedom, I watched my fellow former prisoners, those who were capable of walking, leave through the prison gates. Moments later, they returned and sat listlessly on the damp grass on the dirt floor of the barracks unable to move forward. Viktor Frankl, who is also a well-known author and psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz concentration camp, she says he noted the same phenomenon when Soviet forces liberated Auschwitz. We were no longer in prison, but many of us weren't yet able physically or mentally to recognize our freedom. We were so eroded by disease, starvation, and trauma, we had no capacity to take responsibility for our lives. We could hardly remember how to be ourselves. 
You see, Jesus offers this life of freedom, freedom from sin and death. The prison fences that once held us captive and condemned have been torn down. We've been liberated by our Savior. And yet, some of us haven't yet left the prison grounds. Here's the truth of life. Suffering is universal. We all fall prey to suffering of some sort. We will all be victimized over the course of our lives, wronged by other people or hurt by circumstances. Our lives may be struck by tragedy or we may be mistreated by life. And Jesus says, his own words, he says, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) It's the guarantee. We are going to experience pain by factors over which we have little or no control. We will all be victimized. But victimhood is optional. Many of us stay within the prison walls of victimhood because it's familiar, like the prisoners in the concentration camp. Our victimhood has become so interwoven with our identity that we don't know who we would be outside of the prison. We don't know how to exist without the shackles of unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment. And we nurse and rehearse our hurts and we blame life on our disappointments and our misfortunes. Walking through that doorway to Jesus is gonna cost you something. It's going to cost you having to lay down the baggage that you've become so used to walking around with. Edith says that victimhood is rigor mortis of the mind. It is stuck in the past, stuck in the pain, and stuck on the losses and the deficits. Today, Jesus is inviting you to step through that doorway so that you can step into the rest of your life. Jesus is calling you to participate in your own transformation by risking, by risking it and being willing to leave the prison grounds to discover who you really are in Jesus. For this sinful woman in the Bible, we don't know what led to her life of sin, if it was pure desperation and survival, or maybe if it was opportunity and money, or abuse and oppression that led her to a life of prostitution. But we do know that she was desperate to be free. She was willing to accept the responsibility that came with a life of forgiveness and freedom. And one thing is for sure, she left Simon's house a changed woman, no longer a victim, now a survivor. Don't be a miniature version of yourself because you're afraid of what Jesus might call you to or what you might have to lay down, that hurt that you've become, that's become so interwoven with who you are, we need to leave victimhood behind. We need to fall at the feet of Jesus and accept the responsibility that comes with the life of freedom, which is sin no more. You might have suffered at the hand of someone else, but now... Your life belongs to Jesus and not to them. So you need to choose to walk out of that prison today into the life of abundance. You need to participate with Jesus 
in your own transformation. My second point is you can't heal what you don't feel. My kiddies, when they hurt themselves in public, many of you will be able to identify, they can be so brave and hold it together. And then they come to me and I can see their little lips start to quiver. And then as I hug them and wrap my arms around them, then they just let it all out and they exhale and the tears come because mom is the safe place. And around mom, you can just let it all out. So you can imagine the outpouring of tears that this woman must have cried at the feet of Jesus. She had heard all the stories of what Jesus was doing, his healings. Just a few verses before this, we read this amazing account of Jesus arriving, intercepting a funeral procession of a widow's only son. And as his body was being carried to the grave, Jesus raises this this man back to life. So this lady would have heard all the stories and she must have held it together for years. And then finally, she got to Jesus and she just let it all out. I imagine this as a real snot and trana moment. She was weeping, we read. I don't think she probably intended to scandalously let down her hair and wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. But she probably just cried so much and she didn't have anything else on hand. And so that was the only option. This woman was just breaking all the social protocols with this scene. She caused such a scene at the stiff dinner party. And Jesus was probably the only one in the room who wasn't perturbed at what was outplaying. See, the whole room would have been looking at her, but only Jesus saw her, really saw her, saw her in her humanity and saw into her brokenness and into her heart. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus sees you. This was a cathartic moment, a complete release. She probably cried tears of guilt and shame, and loss, and regret, self-loathing, and tears of repentance. Last year, I, at the beginning of the year, I suffered a, a miscarriage, and it left me completely shattered. I was broken, and I cried and cried. I cried to the Lord. I cried at the Lord, but tears are so good because tears mean that something matters, I was reading to Brody. I bought him a U magazine. Every now and again, they release these children's U magazines that have got all facts of animals or the world. And the latest magazine is about the human body. So I was reading it to the kids. And I came across this little paragraph that I'm going to share with you. And it was, say, it was entitled, Why Crying is Good for You. It said, research has found that emotional tears unlike other tears, contain a natural pain reliever that soothes both emotional and physical pain. Experts also found emotional tears contain high levels of stress hormones, so so crying helps your body get rid of these hormones, thereby relieving stress. Crying can also trigger the release of endorphins, hormones that make you feel good, 
And crying calms us down. Studies have shown that it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, a system that allows us to relax. So isn't that interesting? Emotions that we bottle up can affect our body chemistry and find expression in our cells and our neural circuitry. Sometimes when we don't journey through the emotions with Jesus, it's like we are just pruning this canopy and cutting back the roots. And we, we can't move through the pain into the fullness of all that we are called to be. We're not called to camp in our pain, but we are encouraged to move through our emotions so that we can move on. Do you know what else I love about the story? It's that there is no dialogue recorded for this lady in the entire account in this verse. She's the central character in this interaction with Jesus, and yet she doesn't say a word. We can overcomplicate how we think we need to come before Jesus. Sometimes there is just too much to confess and too much to talk through, and it's easier just not to go there, or just to safely keep things swept under the rug. But I think this account gives us such a beautiful picture of how we can just come to Jesus in such simplicity. We don't have to say a word because Jesus sees our hearts. The story gives us a picture of real, raw repentance when we fall at the feet of Jesus, we don't have to hold it all together. We don't have to explain. We don't have to unpack. We don't even have to understand ourselves and what's going on. We can just come to Jesus and be real, and we can cry our ugly tears because Jesus is our safe space to let it all out. And Jesus sees our hearts. Jesus sees you. To step into the fullness of life, to, we have to feel so that we can heal. To let go and move forward and say, sorry, Lord. And know that Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay. He knows you're sorry. From the Passion Translation again, Psalm 18, <laughs> so beautiful. It says, in my distress, I cried out to you the delivering God, and from your temple throne you heard my troubled cry, and my sobs went right into your heart. And this is the God we serve. He hears our cries. Our sobs go right into his heart. My third point is let your lives be a fragrant offering at the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> I love fragrance. Before children, the years BC, before kids, um, I worked in corporate and I worked with personal care companies and mainly with skincare products. And I think this is where I developed a real love for fragrance because when we were launching new product ranges, we would have fragrance tests we would, we would, where we would sample the new perfumes and choose a perfume that's right for our range. And so my kids and my husband know if you want to spoil me, you can buy mom perfume any day. And nowadays, it really is so precious and so priceless. Most of the time, I get copycat fragrances and not the real deal. It's just the sad reality of life. 
But in the Old Testament, the Israelites burned fragrant things before the Lord as fragrance offerings up to God for the atonement of sins. This story is a beautiful picture of a fragrance offering of worship. In response to all Jesus gave her, she anointed his feet with precious perfume. And in verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. It was not her act of worship and love that led to her forgiveness. Because we are not saved by our works or by what we do. We cannot earn or win our forgiveness. Her worship was in response to her forgiveness because nothing and no one else could have rescued her from her sin-stained life. And when we have a revelation of all God has done for us, we respond in worship. Gratitude is at the heart of worship. See, Jesus took this woman, filthy and broken, and he offered her a new beginning. And here I've got my little demo that I hope works for you because I've been practicing. <laughs> Oops. I think. Oh, thanks, Heather. There we go. So it's just like us. Okay, here I've got my dirt. Jesus takes our dirty, filthy, sin stained lives. And no matter what we try and do, there's nothing we can do to rectify our situation. There's nothing we can pour out in our own efforts to purify ourselves and to make us righteous before God. None of our own human effort will ever get us right and righteous before our Heavenly Father. But then Jesus came, and he poured out his life. He poured out his life for us on the cross as a perfect sin offering. And before the Father, he makes us righteous and pure and blameless and white as snow. Amen. Thanks, Eva. So Jesus poured himself out for us on the cross. And this is our beautiful gospel story that we cannot even begin to imagine what Jesus has rescued us from and what Jesus has rescued us into. Without Jesus, we would suffer for eternity as punishment of our sins. But Jesus opens the door to us and he allows us to dine at his royal table as his co-heirs. He doesn't only offer us fullness of life here on earth, but he offers us an eternal, super abundant life with him, more above and beyond measure. Our salvation is a gift that ought to inspire worship to pour out of our lives. Jesus redeems, he esteems, he values, and he loves you. And I felt prophetically today that Jesus wants to change our posture. This woman would have entered the doorway to Simon's house with her head held low in shame and guilt and pain. But when she left, she would have left a different person. Her entire demeanor would have changed because of her interaction with Jesus. And Jesus wants us to leave here this morning with our heads held high, knowing that we were bought for an 
unimaginable price. Jesus wants us to walk through those prison walls into the fullness of all he has created us and called us to do and be because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We can walk out with a different posture with our heads held high because Jesus has redeemed and esteemed and valued and loved, loves us. When this woman anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, the whole house would have been able to smell that fragrance. Everyone at the table. What we pour out in devotion and worship to Jesus fragrances our whole lives, our homes, and our interactions with others. So let our lives be fragrant offerings of worship at the feet of Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. So whether it's the sacred mundane and mayhem of motherhood or serving a vocation or a company that God has placed us in or whether it's studying a discipline or even something as simple as cooking a meal, let us give ourselves deeply to the task, always focusing on what we can be thankful for in that moment and in that season for the precious children we get to love and raise, or for the salary that provides, or the school that equips, or the food that sustains us. It is in this devotion and worship to Jesus that we will find fullness of life in the everyday. In gratitude and thanks for all God bestows on us, we can find purpose that allows us to stretch out our branches and extend our roots and flourish. Jesus says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence with us here in this place today. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful word that you are coming to rewrite destinies today, Father. Jesus, we want to see you. Open the eyes of our hearts to see you and to know you. Lord, we want to know you intimately and experience this life of abundance to the full, more than we expect, life in its fullness until we overflow. Lord, may our worship and our love for you be a fragrant offering at your feet, a perfume that scents and fragrances our whole lives. Father, give us courage to seek you out to participate in our own transformation, to walk through the prison gates into a life of freedom with you and to leave victimhood behind today as a survivor. Lord, help us to feel those emotions that you can heal. Jesus, thank you for being our safe place. Thank you that you know our hearts and that you, we can come to you raw and honest and vulnerable and that you can bring healing in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord God, for saving us, for pouring out your life for us, that we may experience the abundant, eternal life with you, Jesus, and that we may leave here today postured differently as we find redemption and identity in you. In your holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.